0: Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by.
1: Okay, everybody. I don't know how this next few minutes is going to go. This is Tyler from Middle School Ministry. Um, and uh, it could anything can happen in the next few moments. I don't know what's going to happen. My job is to throw him off. Welcome to Unscripted. Hey everybody, before we get started on some announcements that you've got to know, we want to take a moment and think about the fact that this is Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day weekend feels a lot to people like hamburgers and hot dogs and grilling. And while those are great things that we get to do, this is also a time to remember those who have fallen for our freedom and so as we spend time this weekend with our family and our friends let's also take some time to thank those who have gone for us and to remember that that being said we have some news that we want to talk about did you know tyler no more tickets whoa for adults that's what i was gonna say there's no more tickets, no more tickets. for who adults this is the last weekend this this is it this one right now yes no more tickets no hey more if tickets. you're in a live service right now there's no more tickets for adults, okay. I know that it's hard for all of the rest of the, the kids. We still have tickets for children's ministry all the way up through middle school events. Mm-hmm. But there, as of right now, y'all, I want to hear a cheer in the crowd. No more tickets for adults. Yes. Now, there's more coming. There's there's uh, there's other areas that we're going to be getting mm-hmm. rid of tickets soon. We're just not there yet, and I think there's a reason why. Yeah, um, the reason why Kid City and middle school have tickets still is because. There's not enough volunteers to make those environments like full again. Yeah, a lot of you all have taken some time away for safety reasons and decided that you want to go to uh, .TV and watch things online, and that's awesome. We're glad that we've got that opportunity for you, but as people are coming back, we need you back. So we're we're in the middle of a time that we like to call Surf Surf Connect. Yes, Serve Connect. This is gonna be difficult. Go with this. We're at a time called Serve Connect. You all can't do what you do without no, the people that help in your ministry. Tell me about that. Yeah, again, back to the point, like why Kid City MSM still have tickets. If one adult says yes to serving in the Kid City, for instance, that's like eight more kids that can come into our environments. That's amazing. I didn't, yeah, that's a good stat. It is yeah, It's a great it's Same stat. thing all the way from children, all the way up. Mm-hmm. But the thing about it is, is that a lot of people feel like when you think of serve connect is, man, I've got to give my time so that somebody else, and that's true, this is a selfless act of you giving to somebody else, but serving does something to you as well. It's not just for them. Something happens in you. Check out this video to learn more about that.
2: My name is Bridget Soberanis and I have been serving at Hope for 10 years. I started serving in the college ministry. My husband was part of them, which was really fun. And me and him, we were part of a, we were small group leading a um, co-ed Bible study together. And uh, then they needed needed small group leaders at West Cary. I was like, "Uh, middle schoolers, I don't know. I didn't know how to even talk to a sixth grader, let alone talk to them about Jesus. I was barely talking to peers about Jesus, let alone talking to scary, scary middle schoolers, um, which they're not that bad. <laughs> but um, but I, you know, was talking to my small group leader at the time, and they're just like leaning into God, and so I was just like, all right, God, please. Tell me what to do next, like, and that faith, it started changing me and I didn't even realize it. And then I started impacting those sixth graders who then are still in my life. Today, all these years later, they're sophomores in college now, which is crazy to think. Um, and they were a part of my wedding. Like, That's how important like these people became in my life. And it's just crazy that God has just been there in different ways and pushed me in different ways, and I've grown in so many different ways just from showing up on a, on a Sunday or a Saturday or a Wednesday sometimes. So right now I'm a small group leader for the special needs young adult class. To hear their hearts and to hear them talk about Jesus and just such and they just love with their whole hearts and they don't, they're not afraid to show it. And, and so they get to worship God, they get to experience and learn about Him and then they get to feel important and love just the way that they are and and i get to be a part of that it really is just about showing up no matter where you're leading just showing up in these these people's lives that you're that you're able to serve like being there um being there for them it's it's the coolest thing to do you just can just smile and make somebody's day to make eye contact. I mean, you don't have to say a word without them feeling loved and appreciated for just being there. And really, if you don't take that step, you you won't know what what it feels like to, to serve and to serve other people. It's, it's something that God puts on your heart and it's a joy that you can't explain.
1: Dude, I love that story and here's why. We get to experience those kind of stories from our volunteers and our leaders. All the time, yeah. Because serving not only like gives you a, a place to live out what we're hearing on the weekends, but it also gives you a place to belong and connect with other adults pouring into the lives of the church. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, we are in a series right now called Identity, Identity Crisis. <laughs> Thank you. We are in a series called Identity Crisis, forgive him. And uh, we are spending some time trying to figure out who Jesus is in our lives. The goal is that you have an identity crisis, that you have a crisis of who is Jesus to me. And each week we're going through a story of somebody that Jesus encountered in the book of John. And this week, the story is pretty intense. Actually, there's crazy statements that are made that Chase is gonna walk us through. Here's what I need from you. We're gonna ask you to spend some time at the end of every service with these questions that are ways for you to identify who is Jesus in my life right now. This could be a very, very formative time for you and your relationship with God.
3: Well, what's up, Hope? How are we? Good. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Our little online family is growing. And welcome to those of you in the room right now and at one of our physical campuses. My name's Chase. I am the Raleigh campus pastor. And I want to talk to you this week about what's missing. I want to talk to you about the topic of what's missing, about the missing piece. And you will notice there are two chainsaws on stage with me. And it did not occur to me until I walked up how awkward that topic of what's missing and the presence of two chainsaws is when you put those together. So... (laughs) We are not going to be calling a volunteer up and you just guess what limb I hack off. Like what part of the worship leader did I cut off next? This is... Uh, for a sermon illustration, and it might be cheesy. That's okay. You know, our job as teachers is to take these amazing mysteries and truths in God's word and somehow simplify them and make them understandable and give you handles to kind of hold on to and make them memorable. Um, and so that's my task. And so in my short teaching career, I've used glasses of water. I have uh, used ladders. I've used brooms. I used hermit crabs one time. That's an interesting story. Uh, but today I got chainsaws. Jesus did this as well, right? He. Used the parables. He talked about mustard seeds and lost sheep. He just did it way better than I do. But the point is, uh, these two chainsaws, they look the exact same from the outside, don't they? Just nod yes. There's a few nicks here and there. But they're the exact same color. They're the exact same brand. Uh, They're brand new, I know, because I went and bought them at Lowe's this week. And a little shopping tip, if you ever need a Lowe's employee and can't find one, just start one of these bad boys up in the aisle and they will come running, all right? True story. But from the outside, these look the exact same, but there's something different about them, all right? So this one right here, it looks like it should start right up. And if you were to come up and investigate, you would see there's gas in the gas tank, there's oil in the oil tank, the blade's nice and sharp. But let's see what happens if I try to start this bad boy up. You ready? No? (laughs) Okay, you ready? All right. It's not going to start, all right? And no matter how many times I pull on this pull cord, the engine's not going to turn over. Now, I could still use it. I could probably lock this blade in place and use it like a normal saw, right? But that's not what it's been designed for. That's not its intended purpose. And the reason it won't start is because it's missing a piece. You guys know what piece this is? Spark plug. Someone said no. It's a spark plug, right? It's the most important piece in the engine because it's what makes uh, the gas ignite in the cylinder. It's what makes the, the engine turn over. And it's not going to work without a spark plug. But this chainsaw right here, this chainsaw has a spark plug. So what do you think is going to happen when I try to start it? Now, by the way, if you're new to church, this is completely normal, right? This is, this is fine. All right, let's see. I'm going to put it down here. It starts right up, right? Smells like power. I like that. All right. Let's get these chainsaws out of here. So they look the exact same from the outside, but you'd notice after spending some time with them that they're missing a piece. One is missing a piece. And without that piece, it uh, it can't work according to its intended purpose. So... I I have a feeling that there's some people watching online or at one of our campuses or in the room right now that would have to admit if you were honest and you really examined your life, you would have to say, it just feels like in my own life, there's something missing. It feels like my life is not firing on all cylinders. Like you guys ever pull out your cell phone and scroll through your own Facebook profile or your own Instagram feed and you're like, I look like I should be way happier than I currently am, right? I look like I should have it all together. I look like I'm content. I look like I should have purpose. So why do I have these moments where I feel as if, you know, marriage is just not turning out the way that I thought it would, or my college experience is just not turning out the way that I would have imagined. There's something missing. And we have this feeling that if we could just find that missing piece, then we would be content. Then we would be whole. And when we have those feelings, it makes us go on what I call the search. And all of us have been on the search before, right? And it starts young. Like I remember back in ninth grade, I knew that missing piece was a driver's license. And if I just got that ticket to freedom, then I'd be content, then I'd be holding, I got it. And then there's car insurance and flat tires and you gotta pay for gas and drive your friends around. And so it changes as we grow. We just know that, that locking into the right college or the right college major, that's the missing piece. Or finding that special someone, or, um, uh, or locking into the right job or getting that promotion. And we're always on the search for this elusive piece that we can never find. And if that's you, That's what we're gonna talk about this week. We're gonna look at a story where Jesus has a conversation with a guy that from the outside seems like he has it all, but there's something inside of him It just feels like he's not firing on all cylinders, that he's missing something and he goes to Jesus to find it. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to the most famous chapter, I think, in the whole Bible, John chapter 3. We're going to meet a guy named Nicodemus and Jesus is going to have a crazy conversation with this guy. I want to warn you up front, Jesus is going to take us all over the place. So he's going to go left, he's going to go right, he's going to zig, he's going to zag. We're going to be talking about an Old Testament prophet. We're going to talk about snakes in the desert. We're going to go all All the way to the end of the book of John, but you got to hang with me, and it's all going to come together in the end. And the cool thing is, we get to listen into a 2,000-year-old secret conversation that Jesus has with this guy. And we're going to see how this one conversation dramatically changes this guy's life. And that's what I've been praying for this weekend, for a life change and for transformation. So let's go ahead and read in John chapter 3, verse 1. John introduces us to our guy in verse 1. It says, There is a man named Nicodemus a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Now, you might not know what all those words mean, but this is John's way of telling us that Nicodemus, he's got it all. So the Pharisees are the upper echelon of society in Jerusalem. And in that day, there are about 6,000 Pharisees, but it says that he was a leader, a ruler, which means that he was one of the 71 Pharisees counted worthy enough to be on the Sanhedrin. And so that means that this guy had power, he had fame, he had a claim. Um, he had a great family life. He had to be married. He had purpose. He seemed to have it all, but something inside of him, he just felt like something was missing. And so he seeks Jesus out. That's what it says in verse 2. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi or teacher, he said. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now, sometimes Nicodemus gets a bad rap because he goes and visits Jesus during the evening at night. And some people say he's ashamed, he's a coward, he's a bad dude. I don't think he was ashamed. I think that he knew that Jesus was just a busy guy. And so he uses a mutual connection that he had with Jesus to kind of snag this spot in Jesus' day planner because he wants his undivided attention. He has these lists of questions that he wants to ask Jesus. Now, he never gets to those questions, but we can tell by the way he introduces himself what he thinks the missing piece is. What does he just call Jesus? called him rabbi or teacher, right? And he said, we know that God has sent you to teach us. So Nicodemus, he's an academic. He spent his life chasing after knowledge and studying religious texts. And so Nicodemus thinks that the missing piece is another piece of knowledge or another piece of truth. That's what he's searching for. He thinks that his biggest problem is a knowledge problem. He thinks thinks changed mind equals changed life. And we're no different. We all kind of have a suspicion of what we think our deepest problems are. I talk to people all the time, like my, deep, my biggest problem is a weight problem or a bank account problem or a kid problem or a marriage problem. We think changed body equals changed life or changed bank account equals changed life. But what Jesus is about to do is he's going to correct Nicodemus and correct us and say, no, 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 that's not your deepest problem. That's just a symptom. And he's going to do this Jesus thing and cut Nicodemus off and get right to the heart of why Nick is there. And he says this in verse 3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He says, you want some truth? You want some knowledge? This is it. Your deepest need is you need to be born again. And in the sentences that follow, he's going to unpack this idea of what what he calls a new birth or being born again. You guys ever heard of a born-again Christian? They kind of get a bad rap, right? This is what Jesus is going to talk about. But Nicodemus kind of understands what he's saying. He's like, new birth, do over, redo. And so he says, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Now, I don't think Nick's dumb. I don't think he's taking Jesus literally. I think the accent in that, s- that sentence is the word old. He's like, start over, Jesus. Have you noticed how much gray hair I have up here? Like, I'm 70, 80 years old. I've spent decades building the life that I have. And you're saying I just have to do it all over again? I have to throw it away and start from scratch? I can't do that. And what Jesus is going to tell him is that that's exactly what I mean. That's what it's going to take. And he begins to explain what this new birth is like in verse 7. It says, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born, not again, but of water and the Spirit. And what he's doing there is he's giving Nicodemus some Old Testament references, something that he can hold on to. You wouldn't know this. But um, Nicodemus's mind would have gone back to tons and tons of different passages. The best one that I could find is in Ezekiel chapter 36. You don't have to turn there. But it's at a place in Israel's history where they're feeling a lot like Nicodemus. They've been trying to follow after God for hundreds of years, and it seems like it's one step forward and three steps back, right? And so they're kind of frustrated and kind of ask, God, hey, hey, it seems like something's missing. We don't have the full picture, and God's like, you're right. One day I'm going to give you that missing piece, and on that day he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. There's the water part. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, and I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. He's like, Nicodemus... God's been talking about this for hundreds of years. Your problem, it's not a knowledge problem. It's not a bank account problem. It's not a relationship problem. It's a heart problem. That's that's the disease beneath all these other symptoms. And what you need is a new heart. What you need, your missing piece, is a new heart. Now, he knows what type of guy Nicodemus is. You ever met a Fortune 500 CEO? CEO of a big old company. Those guys have a lot in common. Gary Vett's here, he could probably tell you. Uh, they, they tend to be kind of driven guys, right? They're accomplishers. They're, they're guys that like to, to check off their, their task list. They like to do, they like to accomplish. They also tend to be incredibly bright. So they're very curious. They like to investigate. They like to really understand things to a deep degree. And so Jesus knows who he's dealing with, with this this go-getter named Nick. And so he has to kind of give him some perspective on this new birth. This is what he says in verse 6. He says, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. He's like, Nick, I know that when it comes to this new birth, you're going to want to go after it and try to make it come about. But that's not how this works. The peace that you are missing is something that only God can give you. The peace that you're missing and searching for is something that only God can give you. And then he goes on and says, So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. He says, I know you want to even understand this. But there's no way I can possibly explain the intricate details of this new heart, new birth thing. It's like the wind, right? You can't see it. You can't investigate the wind. But like the wind, you can feel it. You can see the effects all around you. And that's what the Bible says about the new birth. It says that you can't understand it, but you know if it's happened or not, because there's effects. Now it's different for every single person. I've met people that have experienced the new birth when they are deep in an addiction and they wake up the very next morning and they are free of that addiction. They never have another uh, desire for that again. I think that's the exception. I don't think that's the norm. But other people, it might take a few weeks or a few months or maybe even a few years to begin to feel the effects of this new birth. But the Bible says, tells us what these effects are clearly. It says that when we're born again, we receive new eyes. Uh, we see the world in a different way, through a different lens, with a different perspective. It says that we have new affections, new desires, stuff that we didn't care for before, we're kind of drawn to. And stuff we loved before, we kind of don't want anything to do with. It says that uh, we're given new character traits. There's humility. There's boldness. uh, There's courage. There's patience. There's love. It says that when this transformation happens... You can see the effects. And some of you, I guarantee, know someone like this where they were one way in high school or they were one way in college and then they went to that crazy church conference or that crazy church service or they listened to that crazy pastor on TV. And even though you want to discredit that event or that experience, you can't discredit the fact that they changed. They're someone entirely different and became someone different in the weeks and months. That's the new birth. That's the new birth. And so Nicodemus is putting all these pieces together, and he's like, okay, so I need to be born again, and I can't understand it, but I can see the effects, and it's not something that I can bring about, it's a gift that God gives me. So he asked the most ingenious question you can ask in verse 9: well, then, how are these things possible? If I need to do this, how can can this become a possibility to me? How can I make something come about that I'm not in charge of? Like, what part did you play in your birth here on earth? No part. I know because I have witnessed two births in my life, my two daughters. Uh, I'm kind of lying. I witnessed the first one and learned my lesson and stared at the ceiling during the second one. But I was in the room, so I can tell you that you played no part in your birth. You were just birthed. And so Nicodemus is like... How can I make this happen? What part do I have to play? And Jesus is going to say, you do have a part to play. And this is what it is. This is where the conversation takes a hard left, okay? Stick with me. It says this in verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, what Jesus is doing is taking him back to a crazy story, a short little story in a really long book in the Old Testament. It's in Numbers, it's in chapter 21. And it's when Israel has been walking around the desert for a few years and uh, they're sick of the manna that God's feeding them. So they curse God and they curse Moses and look at what God does. Verse six, so the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and many were bitten and died. Like that's harsh. That's harsh. They complained about the buffet, and he went like snakes on a plane with the Jews in Israel. It's nuts. But it's important, okay? There's a reason he chose the snakes. How does a snake kill you? A poisonous snake, a venomous snake. It bites you, and it injects a little bit of venom in your blood, right? So from that point forward, the snake's not the problem. From that point forward, as soon as it bites you, what's your biggest enemy? It's your heart. It pumps that blood around your whole body. And so snakes kill you from the inside out. And so, of course, it says this. And the people came to Moses and cried out, 'Uh, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. So pray that the Lord will take away the nope ropes, I mean snakes. So Moses uh, prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, listen to this, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. And all who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses does this and the people look at the snake and they live. So Moses says, hey, help us out. Take these snakes away. God says, I'm not gonna take the snakes away. Here's what you need to do. I want you to make an image of the very thing that is killing you from the inside out. And I want you to raise it up on a pole. And then how are the people gonna be healed? How are they saved? They have to look at it. It's the easiest thing in the whole world. They look away from where they're currently looking and they look at the, at the healing of God. They look and they live. They admit that they're in danger and they look towards the source of God's healing. It's a crazy story. And that's the context for the most famous verse probably in the whole Bible where it says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, that's where the conversation sort of ends. We don't know if it was Jesus or John. That said, John three sixteen and the following, I think it was Jesus. But that's kind of where the conversation ends. And so Nicodemus just kind of walks away with all these crazy things in his head. The missing piece is a new heart. I have to be born again. I can't understand it, but I can see its effects. And I can't cause it, but I have a part to play. And my part to play has something to do with Moses and a snake and looking and living. And he just sort of meditates on it. But Nicodemus's life begins to go in a different direction after this conversation. And we see a little bit of a change in chapter 7 in the book of John. Um, it's a, a meeting of the Sanhedrin. It's where they decide, okay, we're definitely going to kill Jesus. And after that meeting, Nicodemus kind of stands up and kind of stands up for Jesus. Says, hey, let's take our time here. We're not sure that we need to kill him. But he's not, he's not there yet. He's not a Jesus follower. He hasn't experienced that new birth yet, but he's right on the precipice. But put yourself in Nicodemus' shoes. To even contemplate or entertain the idea of looking or experiencing the new birth, looking to Jesus, that would cost him a lot. It would cost him his livelihood. It would cost him the fame and the respect that he had earned. It would cost him his his place in society. It would cost him his, his wife and his kids. His family would disown him. It would cost him the very life that he had spent the past 70 or 80 years building. So he feels the weight of that. Maybe some of you have felt the weight of that as well. But something happens between chapter 7 and between chapter 19. And we don't know when exactly it happens, but we do know that Nicodemus is there after Jesus is arrested. He's there during the, the, the illegal trials that he goes through that night. And he's there when Jesus is, is, gets the crown of thorns and puts on the purple robe and they mock him and they beat him and he's mocked for being a, a false king. And then he's there when they flog Jesus with the cat of nine tails, 39 lashes, And he's there when Jesus marches up to the hill of Golgotha. And we know that he's there at the foot of the cross, I'll show you in a second, while Jesus is being crucified. And I imagine him kind of on the hill of Golgotha, and he's kind of in the back of the crowd. He doesn't really want to be seen And so we can't see as the Roman soldiers kind of nail the hands and the feet of Jesus onto the cross. And you can't really see as the Roman soldiers begin to pull the ropes that hoist that cross into place. But over the heads of the crowd that's in front of him, he sees the silhouette of a pole kind of rise up and settle into place. And on that pole is just the sagging, exhausted body of a human being, and it begins to click. A picture of the very thing that is killing him from the inside out. He who knew no sin became sin on my behalf. And he begins to look at Jesus in a way that he hasn't before. And it's not to investigate, and it's not to examine, and it's not just out of curiosity. He looks and he believes. And the wind blows, and the Spirit moves and he receives a new heart and he's born again. And he receives new eyes to see and new ears to hear and a new heart to understand and new values and new priorities and new character traits. And they're not fully formed yet, but we do know at some point during Jesus' death, Nicodemus experiences that. And we can see its effects in John chapter 19. Right after Jesus dies, it says this. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, he asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. Because normally, they just throw him in a pile if they were to crucify him. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away, and with him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. And he brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes, and following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. And the place of the crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb, never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And what we're seeing is the very first few steps of Nicodemus' new life. We see this new generosity where he uses his own funds to buy all of those burial preparations. Uh, We see new values and new priorities. The Nicodemus that went to go see Jesus under the cover of darkness is now going to him in broad daylight in front of people and carrying this body. He's, He's identifying with the most hated man in Jerusalem at that moment. And we see new courage because in this moment, he throws away his popularity. He throws away his fame. He throws away his financial well-being. He throws away his entire way of life. And we see this new humility even. See, to care for the body of someone that was dead, that was slaves work. So this is a white-collar academic whose hands never got dirty. They didn't have any calluses. He didn't use tools. And now they're covered in what? In blood. blood and saliva, and hair. And in order to follow Jewish burial customs, they would have had to remove all of the foreign bodies from Jesus' body before they placed it in the tomb. And so you can see him kind of removing the crown of thorns and taking out all the splinters that might be left in his scalp. and Examining the holes in the hands and the feet for bits of metal, removing those, and maybe the side where they stabbed him with the spear. And then they turned him over, and his back is just demolished from the cat of nine tails from up and down on the cross for all those hours so he gets the splinters out the bits of bone the bits of glass and then just carefully puts ointment and anoints that body and wraps it and takes it to the tomb which is important because Easter would be very different had he not done this right and when he places the body of Jesus in that tomb it's almost like he's placing his old way of life there Because the night that Jesus died, the old Nicodemus died. And now a new Nick lived in his place because the the wind blew and the spirit moved. And he received a new heart. And he was born again. And so if you're here right now or watching online or at one of our campuses and you've never experienced the new birth, you need to be born again. That's the missing piece. And my fear is that we leaders of the American church have unknowingly and mistakenly led you to believe that what Christianity is, is learning about and applying biblical principles to your life. And that is not Christianity. And the crazy thing is that those principles are good God gave them to us, he designed this world, he knows how those principles work, so you can get a step or two in the right direction in your marriage, or those principles can give you a step or two of freedom when it comes to addiction, but they can never transform you and they can never save you. You must be born again. Christianity is more than just a spiritual TED talk, right? You need to look to Jesus in a way that you haven't before. You need to see him in a way that you haven't before. You need to see him hanging there after living the life that you couldn't live because of your sin. You need to see him hanging there dying the death that you should have died because of your sin, taking on the anger and the wrath and the penalty that you deserve to take and then offering forgiveness and offering a restored relationship with the Father. And I know, I know that your guilt before a holy God is probably not something that keeps you up at night. Fifty years ago, that might have been the case. Rarely does someone run up to me after a service and say, I need, to, need you to tell me how to be made right with God. But I do know what keeps you up at night. It's, it's, it's marriage stuff. It's a prodigal child. And I know that you want to look at Jesus to save your marriage or to save your parenting or to save you from this addiction. And he longs to do that, and he wants to do that. But before he gets to the symptoms, he wants to cure the underlying disease you need to look and believe and be born again. And maybe, maybe you thought that you were born again, but you look around and you just don't see the effects. And I even hesitate to say this, but I just know that we baptized some people last weekend and we baptize people every weekend and their stories are very similar. I grew up in church. I grew up going to church. I grew up reading the Bible, but it wasn't until I came here and I heard about grace, or it wasn't until I came here that something clicked and my life changed. And they're not using the words for it, but what they're saying is, I came here and I was given a new heart. (laughs) I was born again. So there is no shame in saying, I thought I was, but I wanna make sure. So we wanna give you that opportunity in a few moments. But I do know in a room like this that Most of us have taken that step as a church, right? And you say, how does this story apply to me? Man, it absolutely does, and God showed me this week. You know, maybe you've you've looked at Jesus and you've been transformed, you've taken the first step, but maybe, listen, listen, maybe on step five, or step 50, or step 500, your gaze slowly left the face of Jesus as the source of healing as a source of transformation and it's gone to something else. And right now you are in a battle. And it might be a relationship. It might be with your wife or your husband. It might be with your kids. It might be with your roommates. It might be at your job. And you're just in this battle. And you're not making any steps forward. And you don't seem to be gaining victory. And the reason is, is because you are trying to fight a supernatural battle with natural weapons. So listen buy the books, go to the conferences, do the counseling, but don't forget to recenter your gaze on Jesus as the source of healing. And so maybe for you today, you need to look back at Jesus and say, just like you saved me all those years ago, I need you, Spirit, to supernaturally intervene in my marriage or in my workplace. I need you to do something that I can't, or maybe your battle isn't a relationship, maybe your battle isn't outside of you, maybe the battle that you're fighting is right here, and you find yourself in this place where you just feel stuck, and there's a habit, or there's an addiction that you just can't get free of, and you've tried your hardest, and you're just asking this question, am I ever going to change? And if that's you, I wanna let you know I've been there dozens of times. And I'm honestly there right now, even the past few weeks, and I'm having conversations with my wife, and my prayer times are just kind of comprised of, God, (laughs) am I going to reach a place where I overcome this? Am I ever going to get to a place where I change this? God, do I have the power to overcome this? And I just have heard God so clearly the past few weeks just say, no, you don't have the power, but I do. I have the power to change you. And if that's you right now and you feel like you're stuck and you're so worn out of trying, you've forgotten the most important thing about you. You're a new creation. You've been changed, you can continue to change, right? Past patterns don't determine your present or your future. And I don't know if I'm the only one that needs to hear that, but that's good news. It means that the way that you used to live, the way that you used to react, the ways that you used to hide, the ways that you used to push people away do not have to be the way that you live in the present and certainly not in the future because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And he that started a good work in you will bring it on to completion. He's changed you to before and he's willing and able to do it again and again and again. And so right now we're gonna give you a few moments to just spend some time with God. There's gonna be questions up on the screen and I'd encourage you just to lean in, to take this time seriously and to do some business with God. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Spirit, um, I just pray that you can come and do what I can. Spirit, I pray that change would fall. I pray that that walls would be toppled. I pray that people would taste and see and find healing and freedom. And that you would do all of this as we look to you, as you, as you rescue us from the search for that, from that missing piece. I pray that we would find it
0: Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect you.